You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to our sixth and final episode of Talk Back for this second season. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. Today, we're talking about the concept of radical hospitality. In radical hospitality, barriers which exist through spaces, in our case, theatrical spaces, are actively, purposely removed. My partners for this conversation have been friends of mine for many years, and I'm always inspired by how they both use their work to keep pushing our industry forward. I'm so happy to welcome Robert Barry Fleming, director, choreographer, and executive artistic director of Actors Theatre of Louisville, and Charles Randolph Wright, Broadway, film, and television director and writer. I am Charles Randolph Wright, as you said, a director and writer in television, film, and theater. Hi, I'm Robert Barry Fleming, and I am the Executive Artistic Director at Actors Theater of Louisville. Thank you so much. So I would venture to say that many of our stories that we create are meant in part to illuminate our experiences and perspectives to the quote-unquote mainstream audiences and or to reflect our experiences and perspectives back to our own historically marginalized communities. But of course, let's be frank, not all communities nor all perspectives have historically experienced radical hospitality in our theatrical spaces. So I wanna talk to you both today about how we can claim the space to tell our own stories and how we can extend radical hospitality towards the audiences for whom these stories are intended to reach. And Robert, I've also heard you call this extravagant welcome. And I want to know, uh, let's start with you, Robert. What is What does that mean to you? My podcast is called Borrowed Wisdom for a very specific reason that I I don't think of myself as the originator. I might be an original synthesizer, but the terms uh, radical hospitality and uh, extravagant welcome are faith-based terms that I uh, really was introduced in part from uh, Dr. David Anderson Hooker's work. And this is someone who has a kind of intersectional um, practice of working in uh, law and policy, public health, as well as in divinity. And uh, his work in terms of navigating polarized communities seemed to be something that fit perfectly for the theater. I mentioned him and his work by way of saying that it has context. It's um, as a term that's coming from a faith community, or, to me as a, someone who always tries to think uh, from an indigenous point of view, that which we are doing has to be thinking of four different quadrants of what kind of cognitive, physical, emotional, or spiritual implication or synthesis does that um, activity derive from or that action derive from or have impact? Um, I began to think of that very much as uh, inviting audiences is as much of a spiritual practice as it is uh, one about in investing people in the um, creative and artistic work that you're doing. And uh, and in a system of capitalism, likely it's going to move into a more transactional space that is about quid pro quo. You know, uh, I'm always looking for mutually beneficial ways of engaging, but I think that is different than transactional. So extravagant welcome, radical hospitality, uh, for me, uh, imagines invitation 
to uh, a kind of participatory cultural practice, uh, be that art making or civic engagement or any combination that has that true human piece um, that is recognizing the humanity of, of those that might have been um, not a part of that community prior to the invitation. Beautifully said. Um, Charles, do you have any thoughts on that? My first thought is I want the day to arrive when I go to a Broadway theater and I don't count how many people are in the audience that look like me. <laughs> right. And often when I do count, it's it's me. And so that's the thing that is so disturbing. And one of the big questions is how do we get people to come, you get people to come and it's not just financial, financial is a part of it, but people decide where they and how they spend their money. And why would you go somewhere where you don't feel welcome? So what you were just saying, Robert, about the welcome, I feel is imperative because why go somewhere where you feel like you will be treated differently, that there is no equity with you. So I, I think in all of the things that we're discussing, reaching the audience is 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 imperative. And it's not just outreach. It's not February doing I refuse to work during Black History Month. So Robert, <laughs> I'm not coming to your theater, but you probably won't program <laughs> something black then anyway. I'm very anti-February in, in work. But how do you get an audience to engaged enough to come to see something and also to see something that's not necessarily about them and you find the resonance in that but we've been put in such categories and it is so myopic that you have to go to whatever theater it is that looks like you or that uh, not appeals to you that they try and make that appeal to you so my my whole thinking is how do you welcome how do we welcome and i love what you were saying Robert, because it is like church because theater began in the church it is how do we reach across and it's not just the word outreach which always drives me crazy it's that how do we come together which is what we're dealing with as a world how do we come together and i i hope that we as artists can lead the charge in our way well you know yes if i can just offer charles is one of the very first people who welcomed me to the professional theater. And and it was not just about, oh, he's my choreographer or he's an artist that I aspire to be able to do what he does. It was truly human and has remained consistent throughout the years that um, when Charles engages you in art or practice or um, sharing with you that you know you are being seen that your humanity is being seen. And that's the kind of thing that, um, that's what like mentorship has to possess. It has to possess a sense that you're truly welcome into those spaces and that people can see you in spaces that you're trying to imagine yourself in. And also for you, Robert, first of all, I'm so proud of Robert Barry Fleming, Christine. I mean, just I know. look at what, what he's done, who I he's know. become, and he's maintained exactly who he is. And that's what's so imperative. And that doesn't always happen. You know, the, the work you put in all the work, you do all of this, it doesn't mean that you attain that goal or that dream. So it's thrilling that that's happened for you. But I think of all the children in your in your city 
who will see you and they will see someone who looks like them. And that gives them permission. That gives them permission that they also can do, Robert, what you're doing, what you do, Christine. We were talking about that, the little girl watching um, Hamilton and right. seeing the um, and seeing uh, Philippa Sue who looks, right. and she said, that's me. And, and we don't have those images. And that's what we must, especially in all aspects of the theater. You may see people on stage, but people need to know that we're behind it, above it, below it, around it, that we create this all together. And you typically, if you see someone who's created, it's a white male. And then that's also part of not feeling welcome because you feel, oh, this is not for me. Oh, it's it's done through a gaze, G-A-Z-E, that is that is not mine or not not welcoming to me except on a certain thing or at a certain time. But I, the idea, and Robert, that means so much to me, you saying that the idea of who you've become and the effect that you will have. I always say that if I want to be the person that changes the world, but if I'm not that person, maybe I will affect a person that changes the world. And that's what you're doing, Robert. Well, and, and that's, that's what you you're welcome. you you modeled to me. You were the first performer that I knew who became a choreographer. So you were behind the table when I got to really engage with you, and I got to watch you do everything that you did, and each time say that's possible. That is possible because I'm seeing. I know somebody who that's happening to, and they have seen me. So and they don't look at me like I am in possession of some kind of inferiority or I'm lucky to be in the room or uh, you should be grateful. It was just like, here, let me open this door. <laughs> hey, let's, I mean, it's like, these are seminal moments in my life as a creative formative artist that I was like, I just was invited, I, like authentically invited. And Charles always made it seem like it didn't cost me anything to do that. That's And that's just what it should be. I should just invite yeah. you here. It was completely normalized. And for someone who had so many no's as a queer person, as a black person, it's like, it's like, oh, you're a dancer. You can't be a singer. You're a singer. You can't be an actor. You're an actor. You can't be a... It's like that, that ongoing negation and erasure. And to have people like you, Chris, who I've seen transform your whole entire... Um, leadership and career journey from what I experienced was like primarily as a performer, but as a, as a lyricist, a writer, a leader with a kind of grace and ease and kind of like, of course, that's what I do. That These are all the things we do. It's knowing that we're just a part of a continuum and we're modeling and it's not about us. It's about us doing that work so that others can continue that legacy. And I, I, I just feel honored to be uh, counted among those who are who recognize that commitment, um, accountability, responsibility, and don't make it a big deal. It's imperative to get that kind of validation that you can think, I can do this, because so often we are told no, and the whole environment is about no. The whole energy is you don't fit in, you don't belong, this is not you because we don't see anyone who looks like us doing what that is. And we have to shift that. And Christine, you've been doing that forever. Mm -hmm. And how, how imperative it is for all of us 
to shift that as everyone's having conversations, how do we shift what we're doing? What is the, the new normal? What is this next phase? What does that mean? And possibility welcoming. I'm hearing these words that I, I think are the words we can take with us. Thank you so much. I'm going to jump on the love fest for just a second <laughs> and, and acknowledge that uh, both of you have not only been doing this kind of work to welcome people, but also to make people feel that they belong, which I feel like is the next step that we're, yes, we are welcomed. And now that we, now we belong and now we can take ownership of the space and, and make things happen. I was thinking about this recently that, you know, we've internalized for so many years these messages that we've gotten about, we just want the best person for the job, which is sort of code for not you. And and until you realize if you haven't had access to even being considered for the job, then how do you know that that best person couldn't be you or me, right? And so there's that internalizing of that that has been an obstacle for so many of us to really just uh, leap, leap over <laughs> and then get to the other side and hopefully lead so that we can create these spaces for our communities. Robert, I wanted to ask you, can you speak about some of the programs and initiatives you have at Actors Theater uh, that are that are specifically intended to welcome in not only the Louisville community, but your specific communities of color there? Sure. We've um, moved primarily to a digital platform and much of that work goes beyond uh, filming a play without an audience and just sharing it. Uh, we've got Actors Unscripted where we have um, panels that range from issues around white supremacy, uh, the protesters. It gets to be a space that is more like a daily or a weekly responsive uh, conversation with within the community so that we're continuing to uh, allow the stories that are happening both in um, creative fictional spaces as well as in our day-to-day -day, uh, lives um, allow them to intersect in the way that they do um, the inspiration for the creative work obviously living in the moment that we're um, experiencing. Um, so we have those spaces. Uh, our regular season, um, which is uh, at this juncture through February, all going to be digital, again, deeply in conversation with these kinds of uh, works. And our education area has been reframed as learning and creative engagement because we recognize the intersection of the artistry, uh, the actual art, as well as the community building that is so essential with any predominantly white institution that's lived in a community for uh, as long as actors has uh, in 55, 56 years has work to do. And um, the idea that we're intersecting that with our educational initiatives, we've just recently finished a residency in the West End School, which has been done by the playwright and I as the director of the Ali Summit, which will be a Humana show towards the end of the season. So we, we're building that show by engaging community. That was with young brown and black uh, boys in the West End School that gives them the opportunity to uh, see Ali as a subject, to understand themselves, to get that reflection and to get that radical and extravagant sense of welcome that you too can be centered in a narrative. Um, you can model off of uh, a great Louisvillian who is also a great 
citizen of the world like Ali, um, that we have that legacy that's rooted here. And to do that through artistic enterprise, I did some body-mind centering and yoga and some uh, combination of movement classes as Idris did, spoken word, writing uh, uh, poetry, work with the young men. So we're looking for ways of engaging in all of our communities intergenerationally um, uh, with ethnic and racial um, uh, diversity. Uh, and the range of projects run from concert, like concert-based, musician-based work. We've got our Louisville sessions that'll be kicking off. We've got animated shorts we've got uh, that are of classic uh, one acts. We've got uh, just such a range. We're developing a game that has a, a, a thematic kind of centering in what's happening here. So we're really marrying the, the artistry and the civic engagement with uh, the emergent technologies that are um, a part of what's happening and um, how we understand ourselves and how we connect. So the question on the table for us is really how do we marry both this evolution and revolution in technology with art and social transformation and making us even more connected and interconnected? Uh, is there a means to do that? So that's our lab for the year of really launching this um, Actors Theatre Direct and um, really marrying it to uh, enfranchising communities of um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are also a varying socioeconomic uh, uh, advantage uh, into uh, into our spaces. At, at this time, it's virtual, uh, but eventually also our brick and mortar when we're able to do so. Robert, I love that you said yoga and crump in the same sentence. Oh, I yes. Just to, I just know. want to acknowledge those two worlds. I, the same I also time. want to acknowledge that um, Charles Randolph Wright is the first person who introduced the term hyphenate artist to me. And when he described that, I said, oh, yes, that's language for understanding uh, the multiplicity and plurality of my artistic practice, who I am in the world, that my Black identity and my queer identity are not in conflict, that my um, populist impulses and my super avant-garde kind of are not in competition with each other, that many things can live in the same space. And that's actually what is truly about unlocking human potential, that you don't have to fit a box. And all of us kind of, I think when you start as an actor, part of the job is like, what's my box? You know, and then right. you spend right. the most, the rest of your career saying, um, I, I, I don't have a box, actually. Well, the powers that be are comfortable with boxes, but what we discover is that the audience does not want that. You know, it's, Amen. I always love when people say, are you, when they say to me, are you a writer or a director? And I say, yes. Mm -hmm. I say, Do you work in television, film, or theater? Yes. Yes. And that's, that's very difficult for them because it's so much easier to have that category Mm -hmm. You know, because I can put you in the category, which means I then know how to ignore you. I then know oh, wow. I put yes. you in one place. <laughs> I would love to do work that that's global, that reaches all these. But I am so focused on stories that have not been told mm -hmm. and which are stories mainly of people of color, of all these stories that we do not get to tell. 
And so it's that focus when, you know, in whatever generation where we can tell these stories, all kinds of stories, that is, that is my dream. But now I think all of us are focused on getting rid of the inequity of stories and taking us out of the boxes we've been placed in forever. Right. And, and of course, the ongoing question, which is, which is something you, you've expressed in another way, is whose stories get to be told and, and through whose lens, right? We're all multi-hyphenate artists, but I think it's because, out of necessity. You know, you see something, you're told no, and you don't take no for an answer. And so you figure out how to go forward yourself. And um, Charles, I know you have been directing a lot of your own work for a very long time. Uh, I don't know, though, when when did you start doing this and what went into that decision? I think it first happened with Jennifer Lewis, actually, when we did The Diva is Dismissed, because she and I co-wrote it and I directed it. So I think that was one of the first professional versions where I did that, where, I, but I was always, I was always directing, you know, behind the scenes <laughs> and always shifting that of in, in dream girls, they said, I would always say, Oh no, no, you should go here. You should do it. I was one of those, those people that, that will make directors crazy. Um, <laughs> But I, I just I just want to I just want to insert this that Charles was in the original Broadway cast of Dreamgirls. Yes, he was. So there you and, go. Well, <laughs> and Felicia Rashad and I were in the chorus together. In the chorus, That's awesome. Yeah, getting to see Charles do what he does affirmed something for me about what's possible. And the same for you, Chris. It's like we met at such a young, impressionable age where we were just yes. kind of getting started, and we're. We're just looking for a reflection that says yes That's in a right. space. Well, and let me just let me just uh, insert that Robert and I met mm-hmm. <laughs> doing doing the third national tour of Cats. That's right. So that was <laughs> something that's hard to believe, but uh, but true. Well, I think we, especially people of color, have to let other people see us and turn that because we have not been seen for so long. We have are trying always to be seen. And I think the other side of that is that now to allow ourselves to be seen, to help them come through the door. Yesterday I had this, um, I I had some other interviews and something hit me because they were asking me about how do you feel about, how do you feel about everything that's happening? Is there a big change? Do you feel that there's a change in what's happening? And I just said, I am, I'm not an optimist. I said, and I, I'm trying not to be pessimistic. And I realize now that what I'm doing is I'm an anti-pessimist. Mm-hmm. That is my that is my new place <laughs> because the optimism after decades of fighting, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. I admit it's difficult. And the idea of being an anti-pessimist now is pushing me in a different direction than I've been before. It's pushing me, seeing everything that's out there happening, seeing the young people that are inspiring me. I'm thinking, okay, what is it? What is my trajectory now? What do you guys feel about that? I know you're interviewing Christine, but I'm asking you. You know, I was just going (laughs) to say, you know, it's so interesting hearing you say that because I cannot think of a time that I thought of you as not being an optimist. So it is so fascinating to hear you 
say that because I'm like, then how do you present so positively and with such sense of agency? Because I know what kind of resistance I encounter and how infuriating and rage making and stressful some of that can be. And, and the scale in which you have worked within the commercial uh, theater realm, um, I just know it's like uh, tenfold uh, in, in that arena. And yet I always see you present with a sense of surety, confidence, um, positivity. And I am just curious how you sustain that. What is it you do to sustain that? I'm deflecting to Christine and then I'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I'm going to say this. I think about all three of us. I think that we, you, Robert, you mentioned uh, mixing artistry with uh, civic engagement. Yes. And I think that that's what we do mm-hmm. naturally in all of our work mm-hmm. because we can't help it mm-hmm. because there's always an imperative to, uh, shift perceptions with our work. There is there. It's always present. There. It's we are. Uh, it's sort of impossible not to think about, uh, or not think about it, but have it be even subconscious. Create work that means something, mm-hmm. that has an impact, or that will have an impact. And I know. I know that. Um, for myself, and I know this to be true of both of you too. We keep creating work. Yeah. We just keep creating things and stories to tell because that is how we keep optimistic or anti-pessimist. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I, I was telling someone the other day, I, I am a self-described pathological optimist, mm. but I also have been hardwired to always expect the worst case scenario. So it's very confusing. To, but <laughs> to it's be me sustaining sometimes. though. That's that's the thing because you're yeah. right. Your your output and your engagement has been so consistent over over many, many years, which means there is a sustainable practice there. There's some sustainable practice that you have figured yeah. out to keep moving. Well I think yeah I think what yeah what I think it is is that every time I hit a point where it, there's hopelessness or I don't know uh, how the, we're going to shift the paradigm. I have an idea for a project and I think, oh, well, maybe if I write this story or I, mm-hmm. if I engage with these people, it will help. And then it makes me feel like I'm actually and um, eventually <laughs> doing something to help further that thought. Uh, and it's- without that, I think, you know, you could just go to bed and lie down for, you know, however long it takes till you think that things will change. And that could be a very, very long time. Well, then you don't want to get up. I think right, exactly. being, being optimistic is exhausting. Yes. And <laughs> I realized that I was spending, and that's what I talk about with what's going on right now. I am exhausted right. for all the decades we have worked and what we've been doing and it's exhausting. And so this place for me helps me find the way. And it's so interesting you saying that Robert, about me, but this is how I am functioning and and getting through this and finding my my way through this 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 jungle. Mm-hmm. And it keeps changing. It keeps mm-hmm. shifting. And mm-hmm. you have to figure out how also how how do you take care of yourself in this? Right. And that's the other thing that I realize you will deplete all of this with that energy, so much energy you must put out there you find the way 
that you find that place for you to survive yeah. where you can breathe and what it, what it, that metaphor now of breathing that's we all want to breathe and we're we too often are unallowed to breathe in so many ways and mm -hmm. it, it's I, I i'm trying to find in this next wave how do we breathe that goes back to hospitality and welcome we want to come in and breathe it was interesting people were saying to me about blue like oh will it open this fall and are you guys said i'm not going to that theater <laughs> you know i said i am not going to a theater anytime soon you know because I want to go into a space and breathe. And right now we, we're struggling how we do that. And what, mm -hmm. what is that? But it doesn't mean that we just sit back and do nothing. So that I, I am aware of all sides. So my new anti-pessimistic place is, is the way that I am now breathing. Does that answer you, Robert? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I have something I want to read, actually. This has now become my mantra. This is from Frederick Douglass. This is something he wrote in um, 1850, 1860. And he says, I want you to consider if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. Power concedes nothing without a demand. Mm. So I read this and that's how I go, okay. You know, you're talking about getting out of bed. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. okay. That's, that's what we must do. We've always done that. That's what you do, Christine. That's what you do, Robert. Mm -hmm. It's just, I want us to all, how do we replenish? How are we able to keep going in this world that keeps saying no, that keeps mm -hmm. pushing back? And, mm -hmm. and we have been successful at doing it, but it is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we breathe? Yeah. Okay, that's my sermon for the day. Amen. Wow. When well, when you find out the, when you find out the uh, the answer, please let us know. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much, both of you, for this incredible conversation. You you truly both lift me up, and I'm so grateful. I'm so proud that the three of us are friends. We're comrades. And we are connected and will always be. We breathe together and that's how we function. That's how we will survive not being placed in the boxes that, that they want to put us in. That's how we will get past all of this. Amen. Oh. My thanks to today's guests, Robert Barry Fleming and Charles Randolph Wright. Visit Charles at Randolph-Wright.com and learn more about Robert's work with Actors Theatre of Louisville at actorstheatre.org. My thanks to all of you, too, our listeners. When we first conceived this season, our industry was a robust and busy place. None of us could have imagined the year we've had or how our conversations would expand. So our hope is that this work will stand as a testament to the theater we believe is possible 
once we're all able to leave our Zoom rooms behind. We're having these discussions because we believe in the power of theater to transform, heal, and enrich us all. And whatever the coming months have in store for us, we'll be talking back with you once again next fall. As always, to be continued. Talk Back is a production of the Dramatists Guild of America. It was produced by Sarah Storm, Amy Von Masick, and myself. Our music was composed by Andrea Daly. Robert Prime mixed our show. Special thanks to Tina Fallon, Terry Stratton, and the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee at the Dramatists Guild. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. Please support your local arts community. They are the glue that binds us all. See you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.